Welcome to Trice Talk Monday Night Mini Pod. I'm Donald Wayne, your host, and I appreciate you uh, listening to this new episode of Mini Pod, or if you're downloading it, whichever. In case this is your first time uh, listening to a Mini Pod, uh, Mini Pods are like a 30, 40 minute version of Trice Talk that we do each week. Um, of course, this one is a, a solo by myself, um, as you know, because of the time constraints and whatever, you know, it'd be hard for Dennis Lee and I to, uh, do this program together. Also, Dennis Lee has, um, his program, Tall Tales from the Rabbit Hole that he does on the weekend. So we try to kind of balance all of this out between Trice Talk Live during, uh, four days a week. Um, I'll do the mini pods three nights a week. And Dennis Lee typically does uh, tall tales in the rabbit hole uh, two to three nights on the weekend, depending on um, his schedule. So anyway, this is I, I use this opportunity to go into a little bit more depth on some articles that I, I typically get to do on uh, TriStock Live just because uh, of time constraints and having to uh, both of us getting our time in with our different articles and the back and forth discussions that we have uh, about many of those. So this is basically I'll share with you articles that I find that uh, are pretty much in line with what we talk about uh, quite often on TriStock. And um so tonight I'm going to be talking, I'm going to well, actually going to be using two articles uh, if the time permits, but the first one is about gun control. And yeah, we've talked a lot about gun control over the last uh, several weeks, uh, if not months actually on Tristalk. But that's because there's always something new in the news about gun control. There's always controversy about gun control. You have those that say, you know, if we could get more of the guns out of the hands of regular citizens in this country, that we could cut back on a lot of the crimes that are committed. And then you have others who say, well, if you do that, then what you're going to do is you're giving an open invitation to criminals because the, the fewer people that are armed, or if no one is armed in the private sector and our 
country, then criminals are going to pretty much have carte blanche to do what they want because we all know that the police can't be everywhere all the time. In fact, more often their role is to do the investigations after crimes or to apprehend criminals. So Colorado, we, we talk about Colorado occasionally, and, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those states that uh, is kind of out in the forefront on a lot of different issues. So, but tonight, uh, this is an article from the Epic Times. It's uh, called Colorado Governor Signs Bill Allowing Cities to Set Up Their Own Gun Control Laws. And this is by Jack Phillips of the Epic Times. So, in other words, uh, the governor of Colorado signed a bill saying, we're going to allow cities to determine their own gun laws. The only issue or the only exclusion is they can't have a law that's uh, less restrictive than the state law. So, all right. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and get into the article by Jack Phillips. It goes on to say Colorado Governor Jared Polis on June the 19th, signed several gun control bills into law, including one that allows cities and municipalities in the state to set their own gun regulation. Previous state law prohibited local governments from enacting an ordinance, regulation, or another law that prohibited the sale, purchase, or ownership of a gun. The new law now gives municipalities more jurisdiction in setting their own laws on firearms but those regulations can't be more lenient than Colorado state law. Declaring that the regulation of firearms is a matter of state and local concern, the bill says that local law may only impose a criminal penalty for a violation upon a person who knew or reasonably should have known that the person's conduct was prohibited. Um, I'll stop there for a second because actually you could under you could pro probably guess that there was going to be confusion in Colorado. In fact, as we get into the article, they, this, this author also states that the fact that if you have a variety of different kinds of gun laws across the state, then it might make it fairly confusing for residents of the state or even people traveling through the state or visiting the state to understand what their rights are and what they can and cannot do. Okay, continuing with the article, a second measure signed by Polis requires the state's Office of Gun Violence Prevention to carry out public awareness campaigns to educate the general public about firearms. The governor also signed a third statute over the weekend that prohibits gun dealers from transferring firearms to another individual who hasn't undergone a successful background check or was convicted of several specified misdemeanor offenses. Recent tragedy, tragedies around Colorado and the country demand quick and decisive action, Polis, a Democrat, said in a statement June the 19th. 
Together, these measures will make our communities safer, keep firearms out of the hands of those who would do harm to themselves or others, and get those in crisis help as soon as possible. The flurry of legislative action on guns came after a gunman on March the 22nd, identified later as Syrian-born Ahmad al-Alawi Alisa, allegedly opened fire on a supermarket in Boulder, killing 10 people, including a police officer. Weeks later, another mass shooting left six dead in Colorado Springs, and officials identified the suspect as 28-year-old uh, Teodoro Macias, the disgruntled ex-boyfriend of one of the six people that was killed. When Democrats in Colorado's legislature proposed the bill in March, the National Rifle Association, the NRA, said the measures were pushed despite thousands of calls and emails from NRA members and Second Amendment supporters who opposed them. The law that allows cities to create their own gun laws was panned by the NRA, which said it would generate a confusing patchwork of laws that are difficult to know and obey, as well as the an expansion of arbitrary boundaries where law-abiding citizens are left defenseless. But Colorado Senate Majority Leader Stephen Finberg, a Democrat, suggested during the signing event that more gun control bills may be introduced. Although the topic of these three bills are about pain and loss and trauma, I'm here today grounded in hope. I'm hopeful because step by step, bill by bill, we here in Colorado are creating safer communities, he said. Officials at the pro-Second Amendment group Gun Owners of America didn't immediately respond to a request by the Epic Times for a comment. So, um, it looks like Colorado is stepping out there in the forefront and trying to create a situation, you know, where communities will be able to determine by electing officials what their gun laws, what they think their gun laws should be in their own communities. I don't know that I'm, I'm against that because I, I think that people should have a say. Uh, and, you know, um, within reason, I guess it's, it's kind of like uh, everything else. If you don't like the laws of the community that you live in, then, you know, you do have some freedom to move to somewhere that is more uh, akin to your own values and, and things that you consider reasonable. Um, and I know it's, it's not as easy if you own a home and you can't just uh, sell it that quickly sometimes and move somewhere else. I know that's not always feasible, especially if you're tied to a job in a particular city or community, but you know, you still have some flexibility and, and, and since these will be uh, cities and municipalities, uh, if you will, then it should give you some flexibility there. I'll take Georgia for instance. Um, golly, it doesn't seem that long ago, but I think it was in 1986. We have a community here, a city here in, in North um, North Georgia. It's about uh, 20-something miles north of Atlanta. 
It's called Kennesaw. And Kennesaw, the, the city council in Kennesaw passed a law that says if you live if you live within the city limits of the city of Kennesaw, it is a law that you're required to own a gun. Now, there were a lot of people that made fun of that law, and there were a lot of people said, well, what are you going to do to those individuals who do not want to own a gun? And it, it really never went anywhere. I, I've never heard of any serious, or at least I don't remember any serious challenges to the law itself. Uh, certainly never heard of anyone uh, police breaking down a door and arresting someone because they found out they didn't own a gun. But I think it was more of a, uh, a attempt to try to bring awareness to citizens in Kennesaw that, you know, if you want to cut down on the crime in your area, that uh, you need to own a gun. And this gave them permission to do so, of course, based on, you know, registration laws and so forth. Um, I believe, and you know, it's been some time since I've seen any statistics on that, but I believe uh, the crime rate in Kennesaw went down greatly. And I think it was one of the safer cities around Atlanta because of that. Um, I think because of the law, a lot of criminals just knew that there was a, a big possibility that some homeowner that they might think about breaking into their home uh, could be armed. So anyway, uh, I, I think there can be good and, and bad uh, issues come from this law that they've signed in Colorado. But, you know, like everything else, if it doesn't work out, then it will definitely stand out to the people and give them, uh, you know, an opportunity to go back and, and make some corrections. If they, if they see communities where there are not the same kind of gun restrictions that they may have in their community, you know, say, well, maybe we made a mistake on this, but time will tell, but it will be confusing. Uh, especially if you have a hodgepodge of different kinds of restrictions in in various cities in Colorado, but that's going to be the law and we'll see how that pans out. All right. So the next article I'm going to use is also to be found in the Epic times. And it's also by the same writer, Jack Phillips. This article is about, uh, the Portland police officers union. Uh, and the article says Portland police union officials, blame, uh, let's see, Portland police union blames officials who criticized officers for mass resignations. You probably heard in the news, uh, over the weekend or maybe the end of last week that there's a 50 member squad in the city of Portland called the rapid response team that resigned uh, because uh, I think one of the officers was um, indicted for allegedly assaulting a, a photographer during a riot last year. So to uh, in an action of solidarity, and they say also, and based on all the criticism that the police are getting from their uh, city officials, uh, they decided to resign from that particular unit. 
So anyway, uh, let me get started with this article again by Jack Phillips. Uh, the main police union in Portland, Oregon, said city officials who demonized law enforcement were the primary cause of mass resignations from the police bureau's riot squad last week. Daryl Turner, executive director of the Portland Police Association Union, said that the political venom caused the entire rapid response team, the RRT, to resign. The 50-member squad made the decision after a Portland officer, Corey Budworth, was recently indicted for allegedly assaulting a photographer during a riot last year. Those officers put themselves in harm's way to restore order and peace when destruction and mayhem struck, Turner said in a statement on June the 18th. Rather than acknowledging and thanking those officers, rather than prioritizing public safety and peace, politicians criticize the RRT, further fueling the fires in our city. Aside from that, he said, local politicians celebrated the destruction of our city as if looting, arson, property damage, physical violence, and even murder were permissible and lawful First Amendment activities. Starting in May of last year, Portland endured riots and demonstrations on a near nightly basis, leading to hundreds of arrests following the death of George Floyd. A number of officers were injured during the unrest. In a statement, the Portland Police Bureau said the riot squad members left their voluntary positions, but the officers would still carry out regular assignments. Meanwhile, Turner said that the rapid response Team members did not volunteer to have Molotov cocktails, fireworks, explosive rocks, bottles, urine, feces, and other dangerous objects thrown at them. Nor did they volunteer to have threats of rape, murder, and assault on their families hurled at them either. They did not volunteer to suffer serious injuries, to be subject to warrantless criticism and false allegations by elected officials, or to suffer through baseless complaints and lengthy investigations devoid of due process. Turner, in his statement, specifically criticized City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, who has frequently called on the city to defund its police department. After the resignations last week, Hardesty called out Mayor Ted Wheeler and the city council to formally disband the anti-riot squad. Hardesty has used the occasion to promote a self-serving anti-police, anti-public safety agenda. Instead of defending our communities and the business owners whose livelihoods were destroyed by the riots, she continues to endorse violence, the union boss wrote. Hardesty's office didn't immediately respond to a request by the Epic Times for comment. Multnoma County District Attorney, I believe that's how that's pronounced, Mike Schmidt, whose office has rejected 891 of the 1,108 criminal civil unrest cases since last May, thanked the officers who resigned. Despite these pressures, these law enforcement professionals remain professional and their actions lawful, he said in a June 15th statement. 
But when the li that line is crossed and a police officer's use of force is excessive and lacks a justification under the law, the integrity of our criminal justice system requires that we, as prosecutors, act as a mechanism for accountability. Public trust requires nothing less. So I guess that's in reference to the allegation that one of their officers assaulted a, um, a, a photographer last year during the riots. So when I first heard that story, I, I thought this was 50 officers who were resigning from the police force. And then when I came across this article, I realized, well, evidently that was a, a volunteer uh, response team that they, that they were, that they served on. And uh, though they resigned those jobs or that particular position, they are still remaining with the Portland police department. I'm taking that out of what I've read here in this article. So I guess they're not really losing 50 police officers, but they're, Evidently, that rapid response team was something that they felt was necessary there in their city. And uh, it remains to be seen whether or not that will be missed. I think uh, I read somewhere else talking about that rapid response team that uh, one of the city officials was calling for that response team not to be uh, restaffed again, that it be done away with. So. Big change there in Portland. We'll see what kind of effect that has on them. Um, so anyway, that's that's the two articles I had for tonight. The gun control and then this issue with the police departments. And no one is saying that police departments should pretty much, you know, have carte blanche to do what they they think they need to do in situations. Uh, I, I think, you know, uh, police officers need to be accountable when they cross the line and, and do things that, um, that should not be done by anyone, much less, uh, an officer of the law. But, you know, I can't imagine trying even thinking about being a police officer today yet, you know, we, of course, you hear stories all across the country of, of cities that are losing officers, especially in those that uh, have been affected by uh, the riots, the protest, uh, the looting and the burning and so forth. Uh, even here in Atlanta, in, and uh, I don't live in Atlanta proper, but I live in the Atlanta area, uh, it's been affected by it. And I just saw on the news tonight that, uh, there's been a, a spike in crime, uh, year over year from last year of about 50 plus percent here in Atlanta. So, you know, and, and, and there have been a number of officers that have left the Atlanta police department. These officers are going to places. Uh, I understand where, you know, cities where they're more, well-received and uh, cities that are known for, you know, respecting police officers and respecting the rule of law. And unfortunately what we've seen, and I just saw another story tonight on New York city, where I think 
over 50% of those people that were uh, arrested last year in New York City for uh, breaking into stores and, and, and theft and so forth um, have are not going to be charged with anything other than trespassing, which doesn't carry uh, any uh, jail time, I believe is what they were saying. So there's been a lot of people that got away with doing what they did last year. Uh, you know, this, I guess, you know, more or less these cities are justifying or saying that the people who, who looted and burned and, and pillaged and, and created chaos um, were justified in what they did based on the, the climate of the country last year. So, you know, I can't imagine being a police officer and, and then you arrest somebody for breaking the law and then they get back out the next day and then they ultimately face no real serious charges or penalties or punishment, if you will, for what they've done. So it's almost like, what's the point of arresting them in the first place? Uh, and I would imagine it also is creating a mindset in those who want to do these smaller crimes, you know, crimes that are not violent crimes, uh, uh, murder and, and rape and, and assault and so forth, um, that golly, you know, if they're going to be this laxed, I mean, what have I got to lose? So I, I feel like it's going to be an incentive for them to uh, continue down that path every opportunity that they have. So I would imagine it would be hard to think about being a police officer today. Knowing that the climate we're in, knowing that unfortunately in this country, we have a tendency when something happens, um, we have a tendency to categorize, encompass everybody in that group sometimes and place blame on them, you know, instead of saying, you know, we have some bad police officers that do bad things, horrific things from time to time. They are flawed individuals. They are bad people. Uh, or they make bad judgment calls, whatever. And we tend to attach that to everybody that's in that group all police officers, you know, some people do, not all of us do, obviously. Uh, just like the racism issue in this country, you know, we have people that are going to say, well, you know, I've seen this, this person, you know, um, going to KKK meetings or, or talking about hate and violence against people of color or different ethnicities other than, you know, they, and then they, they get the opinion or they come up with the opinion that it's all white people that feel that way. Or they, they, they inflate the numbers of people that they consider to be racist or they, because of the things they see a few people say in this country. We just tend to attach labels very quickly. So, you know, for a police officer, it's got to be hard. It's got to be hard for their families. Um, but I can't imagine a country, a world, where we don't have a strong police force, men and women who are dedicated to going out there 
and standing between the average person in a community and criminals who either want to take from us or do us harm. So, all right, well, that's, that's the two articles I had for tonight. And, um, also like to remind you, it has crossed over into Tuesday. Now it's after midnight. So, I uh, just want to remind you that uh, I will be on TriStock Live tonight at 10 p.m., Tuesday night at 10 p.m. with my co-host, Dennis Lee. And um, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about tonight. You can uh, check out our posting on uh, Podbeam for uh, the time. And sometimes we're able to give you the the subjects that we'll be talking about. And then sometimes we're not able to post them ahead of time just because uh, they'll change just based on what's going on in the news. So, uh, but anyway, uh, there'll be some political talk and uh, maybe some, uh, some of our uh, normal silliness that we inject in there as often as we can. So I just want to thank you for spending time with me tonight on on uh, this mini pod. And if you're downloading or just listening to it, uh, I appreciate that. And hopefully you will join us tomorrow night or actually it's tonight. I guess it is. I just said it was Tuesday for Trice Talk Live with myself and Dennis Lee. I hope everybody has a great Tuesday. And uh, stay safe out there, everybody.